I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers who have been working in the field for well over 25 years. Although we're still very young. Yes. <laughs> so At through, heart. <laughs> through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge, our challenges. Our foibles. And boy, do we have some of those. Right. And our ideas to help you create the most unique landscapes for you and, of course, your family. Yeah, today we're we were going to talk about our foibles, also known as screw ups and mess ups. And um, you know, we as designers, once in a while, uh, run into that. I know you thought we were perfect, but we're not. So, Michael, uh, age before beauty, my dear. Yes. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> I told Roberta this story, and I have to, and and it is one of my favorite stories. Okay, many many moons ago, I was designing a very large piece of property, and we had done, um, we did a, a lake. Uh, well, it was an oversized pond, 325 feet long by 125 feet wide. It was about eight feet deep. They had uh, large mouse mouth bass with waterfalls coming down and after the whole place was done it was really really pretty amazing I had suggested to the clients wouldn't it be wonderful because it was down in kind of a canyon area of their property I said wouldn't it be great to do swans because you know you just have this amazing amazing feeling of uh, black swans kind of uh, cascading through the water and um you know, I just happened to say that one day and about uh, three months after the project was over and I got a call from them and they said, we need you to come by. And I said, OK, is there a problem? And they wouldn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And by the way, before then, they had put out um, they they also planted bulbs. We planted over 3000 daffodils and narcissus bulbs all over this hillside where the waterfalls were coming down. So I show up and normally they offer me coffee. But of course they didn't. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, they're angry with me. They're they're angry. They're mad. And, and they said, come out. We want to show you something. And sure enough, we go down into this canyon area and there are the most gorgeous black swans on the on this pond lake and everything. And they said, oh, my God, we thought that was a great idea. And we did that, and it was a surprise to you. So that sounds great, and it sounds like, oh, my God, what kind of foibles, what kind of mistake did you make? Well, fast forward for about two or three months, and I get a call back from them, and I happen to, this is an ongoing project, so we were working because it was over three acres, and I happened to stop by, and I said, well, where are the swans? And they said, well, let me tell you, next time you recommend swans, don't. And I said, what's the problem? And they said, well, we planted about 3,000 bulbs. And right after we planted them, the, the swans went behind the people that were planting them and ate every one of the bulbs. So out of 3,000, I think one bloomed. Number two is swans are very territorial. And yes, they're beautiful. <laughs> But they're worse than guard dogs. So when people would go onto the property and go down by the pond, the swans would attack and they would they would stand their ground and they would hiss at them and they would jump at them and everything. Oh, and they also attacked the dog. They attacked their kid. So <laughs> to make a long story short, after about three months of being bit, hissed, 
their plants being eaten and everything, they thought they would retire these wonderful black swans to uh, to a place that was somewhere in the mountains where the swans could live happily ever after. And they basically said to me, was a wonderful romantic idea. It looked great when, it, when we initially did it, but never recommend swans to anyone else because they are a pain in the ass. Besides the fact their poops are the Everywhere. size Yes. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And the and the swan poop was everywhere as you're walking down to traverse this area to go down by the pond. These big whopper pieces of poop was everywhere. <laughs> so you have this like beautiful halcyon vision of a lake with swans. And then it turns out to be a nightmare. And yes. you know, I thought that... Um, you know, I have this dream of building my own, you know, my own house and having some property. I do have a beautiful garden now, but this is kind of my long term. And I thought, you know, instead of dogs, I'm just going to get some geese because they are ferocious as well as, as far as guard um, animals. But I guess they're not as um, cozy and, you know, comfy as a dog. But anyway, um, fowl are named fowl for a reason. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I can't top that, but I can. Um, I can tell you something that happened recently. So when I see clients, um, we have to measure, and normally I have somebody somebody that measures for me. But I'm training somebody, and I don't think people realize what it's like to measure a property. It's not just me measuring your house and the windows, but all the concrete that's in there. Anything that is in that property, on that, on that piece of soil, everything has to be measured. So um, I had to train someone to do it because it's easy to miss the details. Now, um, this is a new person, and she would hold the tape at one end. I'd have one end, and then she'd call out the numbers. And so as she did that, she would say, 34. To me, that means 34 feet. Right. For her, she paused in between and it meant 30.4. Oh, ooh. <laughs> so, yeah. So by the time I drafted it, we were several feet uh, shorter than what I'd actually drawn. And so when everything, when the, when the concrete guys got there to form, and let me tell you, these days, Getting a date from the concrete guys to form is not easy. You know, everything has, there, there's a whole chain of events that have to happen. So when they get in there to form, it's got to be ready. And then they, I got a call from the contractor said, uh, your measurements are off. Oh, that's like telling me I have toilet paper stuck to my, you know, my pants yes. at the oh, bathroom. No. It's really yes. awful. And so, um, and then I had designed a pergola, and the pergola would no longer fit in that yard. So I had to call my clients and say, um, this is my mistake. I'm, I'm not sure what happened. I said, I think I know what happened. But in any case, we can't have that size pergola. And then I, I said, but honestly, the worst thing that's happening here is that I gave you the um, idea that you could have something bigger than you can have. But your, your yard is the size of your yard. It just got drafted to be bigger because I misunderstood the measurements. And um, so the concrete, they couldn't form. 
And um, a couple weeks later, between the rain, everything gets bumped off. And that was, talk about a foible. But, you know, I, I have to say that when we as designers make mistakes, we are accountable and we fix it. I do. Yeah, sure you that's do true. That's true. Okay, well, I have another interesting story, and, and it's very close to home. So my wife was originally a client. We had met at a um we we both own horses and we met at a ranch and everything and started up a friendship and during that time she had said she was interested in um purchasing a new home and she'd be interested for me to design the backyard and i said i would love to so to make a long story short i worked on designing her she moved into the new place and i designed her yard and um during that time that's when we started to to find that we had feelings and we got involved but during the process what was really one of the things she wanted was a really spectacular fountain and she also wanted koi fish so the way her house was designed the garage was in the back and you you um it was recessed and it was three feet from the back fence um and three feet from the side fence and everything and so it formed the side to her yard so my assumption was and and when we were doing the the uh, she wanted this really spectacular fountain uh, and koi pond and everything it was going to be more formal so i assumed that because the setback, because the garage, which is a building, which is a structure, was three feet from the back fence, that a fountain, which is not as big, not as, as structural as a garage, their setback would also be three feet. So I designed this beautiful wall fountain water cascading down into a raised basin that was going to be about five or six feet wide, as well as uh, three feet deep because we were going to put koi in it and water would cascade down and everything and it would be beautiful. Well, what happened was the contractor went ahead and started to build it and the city came by and it was inspecting something and said, wait a minute, um, that does not fit the setbacks. And it was like, well, what do you mean it doesn't fit the setbacks? And uh, the garage is a three-foot setback. Wouldn't the wall fountain? They go, well, they've changed rules and this and this and this. They went through this whole thing. So I had to go down to the city and submit the plans again. And I said, I assumed because you allowed the garage to be only three feet from the back fence that a wall fountain um, slash um, koi pond would only be three feet. And they said, well, there really isn't any rules, but we, we talked about it with all the planners and we decided it's got to have a five foot setback. Well, they had already started to pour the foundations. So what we had to do is we had to push it in um, two more feet. So instead of it being three feet from the fence, it was five feet from the fence. And design wise wasn't that big of a deal, but the problem was now the koi pond that was going to be five feet of, of width um, and three feet deep was only three feet of width. To make a long story short, everything was built. It was beautiful. The wall fountain worked and everything. But when we went to put in the, the fish, the problem was the basin was too narrow. You could Number one, you couldn't see the fish. And because it was such a narrow basin now that when you turned it on, we put the fish in there and they disappeared. And what we found out was because the pump was so strong and because the basin was too, too small now, because it had been shrunk down, all the fish were sucked down to the bottom. <laughs> 
were coming out. They were they were literally being made into fish stew, and they were being sucked through the basin, through the pipes, and coming out of the top. So mm. all of these wonderful koi fish were now toast, and they were all dead. So we the the way we handled that was we no longer had a koi pond we now made a decorative pond with we wound up putting a sculpture in there and it was wonderful but it was a foible because what i realized was when we shrunk the pond so instead of being five feet wide it was only three feet wide we should have downsized the pump and the suction and everything. Otherwise, as I said, number one, you couldn't see the fish. And number two, there was so much suction that all the fish were sucked down to the bottom. You know, it reminds me of that, um, that old Austin Powers movie where um, he's in one of those electric carts and he gets himself into a really narrow corridor. And he's trying to turn around front, back, reverse, back. And so those poor fish, you know, in that narrow area. But, you know, the upshot is that she married you anyway. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it didn't affect her. But the only thing that we found out was is that the city, we live in Davis, the city, because they had no rules at the time and because they decided to charge her an extra $1,800 because they called because it was three feet deep, even though it was a fish pond, they decided that we had to get a swimming pool um, permit. Okay, so well an extra $1,800. Now knowing, if and people would say, well, what would you have done differently? Knowing that we weren't going to have fish, so we didn't need to make it as deep. And number two, so it only had to be been 18 inches deep instead of three feet deep. Then we wouldn't have had to get a swimming pool permit, which would have saved us $1,800, would have saved us a lot of money, a lot of money because we wouldn't have had to make it as deep and we wouldn't have lost the investment of the koi. So the things we learned from that, I especially learned is um, what you can and can't do and never assume anything. Never assume anything. And also know that Davis, the Davis Building Department is known as the Republic of Davis. Yes. And just for that reason. And so... You, that's why I urge people in, in the last um, podcast I did regarding a pergola, check in with the building department first, find out what your setbacks are, and then get a permit. Um, yes. It's just, uh, you know, they're their own uh, force of nature, and it costs a lot of money, just like you, you know, because even though you moved it two feet forward, it had to be undone from what was built and rebuilt, and there's that cost as well. Exactly, exactly. And you're right. The good news was she still fell in love with me and she still married me in spite of the fact I cost her extra money on a permit and all of her fish were sucked down to the bottom. Right. And you're still married. So something's working. Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, OK, so I have another story. I was training an intern and normally when I draft plans, most of the time I do it in a quarter inch scale or an eighth inch scale. Meaning that for every inch on a ruler, the actual property is either four feet to that inch or eight feet to that inch. That's how we draft and have a bird's eye view of your entire property. So um, I never work in anything else, actually. I mean, there's no reason to. I mean, if you have a massive property, then it's a 110 scale, one inch equals 10 feet, or a 120, one inch equals 20. But for us as designers, we need to get details in and plant details. So if we get it really tiny, it's very difficult. Anyway, so I sent the intern to measure a very, very small, tiny backyard. It was part of a, um, 
they were condominiums. They were three story and tight together. And they had a backyard that was maybe 20 feet long, maybe 12 feet wide. So I get the plan back and um, what she had done is measured and drafted. And then it ended up on my desk. And so I, I knew what I wanted to do. I'd already had the consultation with the client. So I designed it. And then when it was designed, my client met with the contractor. She chose a contractor. And then the work started. <laughs> well, unbeknownst to me, the draft that I had was actually drafted in half-inch scale, which means that all the materials that the contractor ordered, we only needed half of that amount. Ooh. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you pay for delivery. There's, like, pallets of paper blocks or, you know, whatever, all that's coming in, and, and then it gets dumped. And then we have to clear it out again because we only needed half. And um, again, I had to take responsibility for that, even though I didn't do it. But, you know, she was working with me and she, you know, when I asked her, she said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, OK. Oops. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's 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 one of those things. Well, I have another story, but this wasn't a mistake of mine, but this is our industry. So this was many moons ago. In fact, I just did a consultation for these people two doors down from this house that I worked on about 20 years ago. And there used to be now defunct. There was a, a swimming pool company. We had designed the swimming pool in a backyard and it was in Carmichael and the clients were wonderful. And, um, the pool company built the pool and um, this was a situation where the pool was higher. It was, it was, if you can imagine a yard, you came out, it was at a lower level. You walked up some steps, the pool was at a higher level and it was really quite pretty. It, it had brick coping, um, brick edging and everything and, and then concrete infill. And it was a really pretty traditional yard. And I remember the client calling me and saying to me, um, the pool, it seems to be losing water and everything. And I said, we'll call the pool company. And I said, how much water is it losing? And they said, um, you know, it seems like it could lose as much as six inches of water. And I said, you know, that seems exorbitant. That seems a lot. But, you know, there is evaporation and it was in full sun and everything. I said, call, call the pool company and talk to them. Well, of course, she called them and she said, I think there's a there might be a leak. Um, it's losing like six inches of water a day and I'm putting water in, but it was in the middle of summer. So they placated her and said, no, that's normal. And if you look at the, then they told her all these things. Well, about three months later, she called me again and she was in hysterics and she goes, because we'd be developed a friendship. And, and if she had a problem, she would call me and I would kind of give her some advice. And she goes, I went out to the backyard and she goes in this upper terrace and there were brick ribbons. And she goes, I noticed that there were like little, little fountains, little streams of water coming in between the brick ribbons. Mm. And she goes, I don't think, she said, do you think that's a problem? And I said, absolutely, it's a problem. Call the pool company. Well, of course, the pool company comes back and they jackhammer because that sounds me like there's a there's not only a leaky pipe but there's a broken pipe and the water is shooting through um you know if you can imagine these brick ribbons well they come out there and they jackhammer one of the ribbons and there's this big like boom and apparently thank god no one was hurt but literally 
where they jackhammered just caved in and uh. the 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 whole area around not the pool but around the pool all dropped about four or five feet and what oh my happened, God. yes well what had happened was the pool company when she called them should should have immediately come out there because what had happened was the the underground cleaning system had a little pin leak and what was happening is every time they turned on the cleaning system it was under pressure was sending this water out underneath the concrete and it was and that's why it was losing water well the water was basically it was like under pressure and it was so so heavy amounts of pressure that it was basically undermining all the concrete and all the dirt was disappearing so that at a certain point all where the dirt was was now filled with water and the pressure as as you turned on the cleaning system finally the water was coming out of the 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 expansion joints and what i said to her was and they had to redo the whole section all of the the um the concrete had to be pulled out all of the brickwork had to be pulled out all of the dirt had to be put back in there and recompacted did the, the pool company, i asked pool, her was what did the pool company did the pool company pay for that Oh yeah, in fact, this finally put the pool company out of business because what finally happened was, I had said to her, you know, this has been going on for six months and all that water must be going somewhere. Okay. And you, you, but you never, and I asked her, I said, do you ever see any standing water, you know, in the street or going through the drain or anything? She said, no, I, we don't see any water coming out to the street. Well, to make a long story short, what was happening was, sure, all that water filled up that cavity and then it went because remember i told you that the pool was sitting higher than the house well it was all going back to the foundation of the house Under and the what house. happened was one day she soon after the debacle of all the concrete having to be replaced they kept smelling mold inside their house and so what was happening was all of that water six inches of water a day going down for six months was all going into the foundation of the house. Well, the foundation was all filled with water and all that water was being wicked up into the drywall or the walls of the bottom story of the house. And so the paneling, the carpeting, the parquet floor, all of the walls were now like gigantic sponges. They to buckled. make a long story short, the, the family had to move out of the house, the whole bottom half the, it was a two-story house. The whole bottom story had to be basically pulled apart. They had to rebuild the whole bottom, all new cabinetry, all new flooring, all new cabinets, all new new carpeting, all new everything on the whole bottom floor because all the water had basically been sucked up into the walls and destroyed with mold and everything, the whole thing. That put the pool company out of business and that was it, that was the end. So I mean, when you talk about things Water flows downhill and six months of water of, of six mm -hmm. inches of water disappearing, it eventually went somewhere and where it went was into that foundation and the walls of the house. Yeah. And that could have been that could have been taken care of if they had gone out on the first call and on the first call. This this is why we're relating some of our foibles, because um, contractors um, building you really really have to be aware. Now, I, I catch things early. Nothing like that has ever happened you know, to that extent. But um, I got to say this right now, and I know any pool company is going to hate me for it, but here it goes. If you're having a pool done, 
and they try to sell you a landscape as well, do not do it. I think it's important that each company does what they do best. But a lot of companies, they're going to try to get the landscape done, the overhangs done, because they want to keep, you know, all the profit. But honestly, you need to work with people that work on their specialty only. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Another interesting story, which, again, one of the things that it tells you, this was, this was again, some years ago. And this was, again, it's an oversight, but it's, it's, it's what, what, as a designer, um, you'd kind of, you'd find out. Okay. So there was a time when I wasn't just a designer, I was design build. So, which meant that you designed the property and then we, as, as I'm a licensed contractor would actually do the installation. And I remember it was a project. This was probably again, like 20 years ago in, in Davis. And I remember it was a backyard. I even remember the street. We put down, we designed this yard and built an overhead and nice concrete work. And then we put a, a sod lawn in. And I remember telling the people, you know, for the first two weeks, you need to water every day to keep the sod moist so that it doesn't dry out. If it dries out, then what happens is when you when you match up the seams and you stagger them, if the seams start to shrink, then then the sod begins to shrink. And then you get that's where the weeds come in. And that's where where it's like um, putting a putting a wool um, sweater into the dryer, washer and dryer, and it shrinks. And then you try to put it on and it looks like a doll's costume. Well, so you explain to the clients that you need to keep the sod moist um, for, the, for the first two weeks. And the secret is after two weeks, the roots begin to knit. And that means that they go down into the soil and hold. So if you try to pick up the sod, you can't because it's already rooted in there. Well, unbeknownst to me, because they were there, it was a husband and a wife, and both were working or anything. So the husband heard that, and so did the wife hear that. But the husband would turn on the sprinklers and unbeknownst and set the sprinklers. But then the wife would go to work and she'd come home and she was afraid that there wasn't, that the sprinklers hadn't gone on. So then she would turn it on. So what was happening is it not only was watered, but it was watered two times a day. And they noticed that the sod was turning a little bit brown. Well, the initial reaction is, I remember them calling and saying, our sod is turning a little brown. And I said, well, it probably isn't enough water, so water. Oh, no. <laughs> to make a long story short, when I finally did, when, when they finally called, it was now two and a half weeks later. And I went over there because they said, the sod looks really, really bad. And we think something's wrong with it. And I went, okay, I will come over and see the, what the problem is. And I go into the backyard and it looked like a swamp. Literally, there was green mold completely covering all of the lawn and what had happened was the husband watered um, because he thought it wasn't getting enough water then the wife would come home from work and she would water and then when they were afraid that it was turning brown well it was turning brown because it was rotting they would water again so that by the time i finally got there and saw the space it was literally under two inches of it was sitting in water the water was now covered with green mold and green green algae because it literally and if you were to sand on the lawn you would go down about two feet because it was a swamp and everyone was pointing a finger going well 
I didn't realize you were watering when you got home. Well, I didn't water when you realized. And then when, when you called Michael and he said to water, I was watering. And so to make a long story short, we had to take the whole thing out. We had to let the whole thing dry out and replace the entire sod lawn because what had happened over a period of two and a half weeks was we turned it into a gigantic swamp. Right. And that's, uh, I guess the moral of the story is um, you could kill it with kindness. So Absolutely. And that's, do you know that that's the number one thing, especially with houseplants? Most people kill their houseplants not from lack of water. They kill their houseplants because they overwater. With too much water. Yeah. No, I totally get that. You could buy these little indicators that tell you um, your moisture level. And a big thing that's had a revival since the 70s are terrariums. And you have to be extra careful not to overwater because the nature of the terrarium is that it, um, when you water it, the condensation will continue to um, you know, keep it moist. So anyway, well, I think we've had enough of foibles. I don't want to scare anyone off, but um, I think it's important that everyone is aware that um, there are steps to be taken. And the contractors that I work with are absolutely licensed and bonded. I wouldn't work with anybody else, no matter how cheap they are, because that cheap price that you go with um, could cost you, you know. The absolutely. And I feel the same way. Uh, the people I recommend I've known for 10, 15 years. And when I hear, if I hear any bad stories from my clients or complaints, I investigate. And if it's true and the contractor won't fix it, I X them out. I won't recommend them anymore. And it's, and what Roberta said is, is so true. Um, sometimes the cheapest isn't the best. And if they're so cheap and they're available, you wonder why they're available. And especially because they've cut their prices and they've also cut their services and they've cut their quality. Yeah. And they might not even be, uh, they might've cut their payments to be licensed and bonded. And so you got to check all of that. But um, if you're working with the designer, such as Michael Glassman and me, Roberta Walker, we, um, we are dealing with people that know what they're doing and are licensed and bonded because it always comes back to us. Yes. And in the long run, it's, you know, people will, it's funny, people will compliment you you know, sometimes, and sometimes you'll hear from your client when it's all, it, it all goes well, but invariably you'll also hear from your client if it doesn't go well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And those are the calls we don't like. We love to hear the ones where the people are going on and on how much they love their yard. We mm -hmm. don't love to hear what though we expect it. We don't love to hear when the client's calling to complain and tell you that you screwed up. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we hope this has been enlightening for you. It's uh, it was um, it was fun. And also we kind of grin and bear it through this because yes. we, this, these were our experiences. So I'm um, happy to report that those are in the past. And um, nowadays things are much smoother. And I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. And we are digging, digging deep. deep. Thank you for joining us.